we are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Jazzcast Pros. There are so many functioning children who don't know how to interact outside of technology. Most of the issues, the social issues that we have, the behavioral issues that we have, it's due to either direct use of social media or the use of technology. We saw so many students struggling, particularly our new students, because they had no way of interacting and they didn't have the social skills to understand, you know, how do you introduce yourself to someone? And I'm not talking just in terms of an informal situation where they need to introduce themselves to an adult or, you know, when they're applying for a job or interviewing for a job, but I'm saying even amongst their peers, they have no social skills, which is another reason why the behaviors, the negative adverse behaviors have increased so much in schools, all schools because of the lack of social skills, the lack of socialization, which has led to the lack of social development in many of our students. Welcome to Igniting Hope Radio, where we realize the differences between equity and equality. Here at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, quite frankly, we don't want equality, we want equity. The only way to change hearts and minds is through emotional engagement, to get people behind it, and continuously support the concept with facts. This is our aim and our mission weekly as you join Pastor George on Igniting Hope Radio. Hello, friends. We're back again with our Igniting Hope podcast. Pastor George Nicholas, who has the honor, it's really a privilege to be leading some very important work through our African-American Health Equity Task Force at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. As you're listening to our podcast today, make sure that you share and like it because it's it's very important that we get this word out into the community. If you recall some of the podcasts that we've been talking about in the past, we, we really have been focusing a lot around our mental health. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so it gives us an opportunity to to really highlight some things. And, you know, as I was looking at data, and we we really, we are always talking about data because data will tell a story. And, you know, sometimes as those of us who advocate for the needs of African-American people, sometimes people will accuse us of exaggerating or, or, well, that's not how it really is. And data gives us that opportunity to, to really show people what we know from our experiences of just seeing things and dealing with people. But there was a 2018 study. And so now when we think about 2018, that's before the pandemic. And they looked at an age cohort of ages of five to 12 black children. And they looked at white children ages 5 to 12. And they found that black children from the ages of 5 to 12 were twice more likely to die of suicide than white children. And then there's been more data that's been more studies that have been done. And we have learning that the rates for our black youth, so now we're moving past the adolescent talking about our youth, and those rates of suicide have doubled over the last decade. And and this, remember now, this data was 
taken pre-pandemic. And the biggest group that aged between 15 and 17, the numbers are increasing exponentially. We also know that as we learn about now COVID and as we go through COVID, that African-American children are more susceptible to depression, anxiety, and stress because of the lived environment and how the issues with the lived environment have been amplified because of COVID-19 and then because of media and social media. So while at one level, we are grateful that people are videoing acts of violence, police violence against unarmed Black people, but the repeated viewing of those things is creating trauma in our, our young Black people. So the, so the not only the events of increased police violence upon Black children, but then the, the repeated viewing of it is creating trauma. So we have a great guest for this podcast, Dr. Kelly Coran Lucci, who is a, a person that professionally understands these issues, uh, works with young people. She's over at Sweet Home uh, High School. It's becoming increasingly more diverse, which is a good thing. But one of the challenges in our suburban districts is these districts are really set up to deal with white suburban children. And now with the diversity that's coming in, they're going to have to be more creative in how they're going to service our children. So that we're so grateful that Dr. Lucci is over there at Sweet Home. But more importantly, she's got a heart for the work. You know, it's one thing to have a mind for the work, but it's it's really a, a great thing when you have not only your mind and a heart for this very, very important work. So when, when I share those numbers, about what's going on with our children. What does that kind of bring up in, into your mind? And what have you seeing and experiencing, you know, in your uh, work over there at uh, Sweet Home High School and in other parts of the community? Well, first, Pastor George, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction and for having me on today. I sincerely appreciate it. And um, I have to say, honestly, yes, I've professionally trained but it's in my heart and those seeds were planted by my parents and also the village from which you know I, I come. All I can say is you're brilliant. You really don't need me because you've just stated facts upon facts upon facts, as the kids say. I guess one thing I would say is, you know, we have been taught, and I and I do understand, you know, having a high degree from the University of Buffalo, which is known for their research and understanding the importance of research. Yes, we need numbers, we need the data. But at this point, you know, working in the trenches, we've known the data. <laughs> Those of us who have been in the struggle and see the struggle, I was just reading some research that said, you know, for the last three decades, they have been gathering information and data, particularly on mental health within, you know, our mar marginalized groups. But now what are we doing with all this information that for many of us, we knew long before it was on paper. And then for, for others who have, who have learned over the last two years, what are we going to do with it? The numbers I think are actually even more alarming that are actually higher than what is actually being produced with the data. This has been a tough week for me as a professional because we um, had one student who attempted and thankfully by the grace of God was not successful and person of color. How ironic today when I was speaking with, let's say the parent, they said, no matter what, their relative wants to be able to speak to me because they don't feel 
the connection and don't feel that they'll be understood by others. That's not to slight others, but I totally understood what they what what the parent was saying, you know? You know, knowing this, we need help. We need to increase the number of professionals within the field. That is one of like the number one issues that is presented besides getting past the stigma, the lack of information is where can we go? I was reading data where 30, 40%, depending on where you're looking at the research, people of color are in need, but 90% of the practitioners are not of color. Yeah, so that's a a very important point because as as we think about data, data will tell us what's happening, but now we need to figure out why it's happening. And I want to circle back to that issue about services in a few minutes. Let's kind of sit with this in terms of what's going on with our young people. I think a lot of times we think we know, but there's something going on. There's a, there's this a higher, you know, I have a, a teenage son that's in high school now, and it's just different, you know, and I can even see the difference now. You know, I have, I have five children. Caleb is at the youngest one, but I could even see Dr. Lucci kind of a different vibe in what Caleb is going through than what the other boys went through and and they are more recent graduates of, of high school in like you know they're 20 in their early 20s but there's something going on right now in these last couple of years I don't know if it was the pandemic that brought some things to the surface I don't think the pandemic created anything I think the pandemic might have revealed some stuff and so what do we think you know about the why what's driving some of the stuff? I hate to sound like a broken record, but I truly believe that things have definitely been exacerbated, the issues. I think COVID forced all of us to become much more reliant on um, technology and for our youth, even if we tried to restrict them from using, you know, uh, technology, they were forced to during COVID 2020 through 2021. And it's very hard to, to pull them away from that. Social media, I mean, that was exposed in the fall when there was that big study and they had to go before, what was it, Congress, I believe it was Congress, just to talk about the impact, the the effect of, um, in particular, Instagram, Facebook. And so many of those executives, some of them, you know, by choice they revealed it and others, you know, were exposed, you know, based off of people sharing that they knew that they did not allow their children to to be on social media because they know the impact. You know, we talk about it all the time, but I literally see most of the issues, the social issues that we have, the behavioral issues that we have in the buildings, it's due to either direct use of social media or the use of technology, where students can text each other literally in the middle of class and a teacher won't even realize it. They can have it linked to like their iPad and the message will come right, right, right on there. But that influence, I think, is playing a significant role along with the increased um, social isolation. So because of COVID, we were all forced to stay, you know, close to home or within our homes. And for many students, they became accustomed to that. And we also have to remember life existed before COVID. And there were students who felt more comfortable isolating themselves, but they weren't, you know, encouraged to or allowed to. But as a result of COVID, many more students have been able to do that. I hear from parents all the time. They're concerned. They don't know what's going on. Their their children are up in their room. Like they come out just to go to the bathroom. 
you know, or just to get something to eat and then they take the food right upstairs. So I really think that there is a direct correlation between the use and the increased use of technology, particularly with um, our social media. And people don't understand the impact that it has. I have students in here that literally weigh under 100 pounds, but they admit to me that they haven't eaten in days because they're fat. And, and, and you know, it's, it's just so, um, I definitely think that that's, that that's something. As parents, we have to be much more involved. We have to ask questions. I equate it to driving a car, an automatic. You know, you have to know when to let off and give them their space, but then you got to know when you have to say, listen, you're not leaving this table or you're not leaving this room until we have a conversation. Because once you let off that break and allow them to continuously be closed and not talk or I don't feel like talking, you're setting a pattern and it's so much harder to then go back and open or reopen the lines of communication. Let's talk a little bit about why it's so important for for people, especially teens as they, and adolescents as they began to, to form their own self-image of, of who they are. Why is it so important for them to, one, have interactions with people? I mean, I'm not talking about not through machine, but interactions. And then healthy, healthy relationships, not only with their peer groups, but with adults and how what we're seeing going on has is creating an impediment in this kind of relationship development and how that impacts their own personal development. Kids don't have to make friends anymore. They don't have to look at someone and be a little nervous and work past that with introducing themselves, whether it's to a peer or whether it's to their teacher or whomever. There are so many functioning children who don't know how to interact outside of technology. Last year, when many of the schools, not all, but many of them, you know, if they weren't fully remote, they were hybrid. So the students would come a couple days a week and then that's it. We saw so many students struggling, particularly our new students, because they had no way of interacting and they didn't have the social skills to understand, you know, how do you introduce yourself to someone? Because I actually asked one student who seemed to be very successful with, um, you know, transferring and getting assimilated to, to the new environment. And she told me that a student just said, hey, she looks cool and said, hey, what's your snap? And I said, oh, tell me about that conversation. It went right over my head. But what the, the other student was asking was, what's your Snapchat, I don't know, address or what have you handled? And that's how they continued to become friends. So there's very few times that our young people are forced to communicate. And we, we, we have to do that because they really, truly don't know how to even introduce themselves. And I'm not talking just in terms of an informal situation where they need to introduce themselves to an adult or, you know, when they're applying for a job or interviewing for a job. But I'm saying even amongst their peers, they have no social skills, which is another reason why the behaviors, the negative adverse behaviors have increased so much in schools, all schools because of the lack of social skills, the lack of socialization, which has led to the lack of social development in many of our students. So so as we think about the experiences, and I'm going to kind of drill down in terms of experiences of African-American youth who are in a society where there is pervasive structural, systemic racism, anti-Blackness, there are 
economic disparities, health disparities, all kinds of challenges. How is this kind of creating almost like a, a formula of, I won't say disaster, but there is a crisis. I mean, we're, we're in a crisis level, whereas suicide has now become the second leading cause of death for Black teenagers in some demographics, right? So when you think about cancer, car crashes, all these kinds of other things, right? And suicide, and there's always a lot of conversation about homicide, which is a huge problem with our teens as well. But what's going on that that's really kind of elevating these numbers in our community with our children? And what can we do almost immediately? I mean, in terms of, of recognizing the, the depth of this problem, but also what is our role as responsible adults in the community to kind of make things better for our kids? That's an excellent question. I think one of the biggest challenges is that our youth, including our youth, the lack of coping skills. Literally, you know, there's a song, you know, going from zero to 100. So many of our young people are lacking the coping skills. So when they are faced with a stressor, that 10, 15 years ago, they would have been able to either work through, talk through, they're not able to anymore. I will say that for some students, language is key. They will um, get in the habit of saying something as simple as, geez, I might as well just kill myself. And that's for all, for our, our youth in, in, in general. But, you know, our language putting things into the atmosphere, and yes, I'm going into the Bible. You know, we have to be careful with what we say. But taking it back to coping skills, I, I, I hear so much from our, our students when something that, you know, not to minimize how they feel, they have a right to feel the way that they do, but how they react or respond is a reflection of their lack of coping skills. So we really need to help our youth with being able to identify something as a problem, as a stressor, but then also help them to understand the importance of being able to create coping skills that really, and you're starting with at a ground level, at the elementary level. You know, if you're having a bad day or maybe you forgot something, that doesn't mean it's, you know, you're gonna have an entire bad day. You may have started off bad, but, you know, we're going to continue to work through that. So the lack of coping skills. We do, I believe, you know, some people say the kids have it so much easier today. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I really, truly would not. I believe that they have been exposed and continue to be exposed to so much more. I will say for myself, and I'm 51 years old, I'm so grateful. And you'll see a lot of people on Facebook saying, I'm so glad Facebook didn't exist when I was growing up. And that's the truth. You know, videos didn't really come out. It was like my latter part of high school and then college. But by that point, you know, one, my life had been shaped by my village, my home life in my village. But also, I had a good sense of self. And my identity was not constructed based off of what I was looking at on my phone or on a computer. It was based off of how I was raised in my home my village, but also what I was exposed to visually. You know, nowadays, if you're holding a baby and the baby is old enough to sit up, even if you have an eye watch or some kind of, you know, electronic um, watch on, that little baby is hitting on that watch even because they know if I hit it, it's going to show something. Like what that has done to the development of our children. Like I hear so much, like they compare themselves to what they're seeing on the screen. 
Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, what's so interesting too is powerful people, influential people, people that they understand things when they have power and influence in our society, they don't allow their kids anywhere near none of this stuff. And even those that create this and those who make money off of this stuff, because they know what it's doing to the development of the mind of a, of a child. Now, I would love to see a survey of our young people who, if any, responsible adult do you have in your life that you can talk to? Not who you could text. I'm talking about if I need to really sit down and have a conversation about what's going on inside of me, about my feelings, about my emotions, about my development, right? And what responsible, and I mean, and we'll have to define what a responsible adult is, can you go to? And when you have that conversation, you know, what does that look like? And if we could get a snapshot of, for our young people, the answer to that question, I think it would help us to develop some kind of action plan on how we could get to this. And one of the reasons, Dr. Lucci, you know, that kind of makes me think about this a lot is my own personal experience, because I had a great relationship with a lot of adults, and you mentioned the village, but how many and I'll speak specific, specifically about young black men who I know who have been incarcerated or get in trouble or whatever, and they've literally had no adult male in their life and irresponsible. And I'm not hitting at any people who try, but there's a lot of brothers out here in the community that are trying to be mentors and all this other stuff, but they need mentoring themselves. I'm not trying. I'm not saying that's everybody, but I'm just saying there's some folks out here that have got their little things going, or they may be coaching stuff, and they may be doing the best that they can, but they don't have the the skills, the capacity, or their own stuff that they're dealing with to really be able to sit with a a young 13 or 14-year-old or whatever. And I know you've had this conversation. It's a deep conversation when a child, and they're still a child, comes to you and says, I don't want to live anymore. I mean, it's a, it's a heavy conversation when somebody comes, comes at you and says they're depressed, right? Yes. Lots of harm has been done. Whether it's intentional or not, a lot of harm has been done. You nailed it. Um, I will say, getting back to that, who's that one person? So last school year, you know, when we were hybrid, we're actually, no, gosh, 2020. So once COVID hit and we realized so many of our students, even good students, were not, you know, engaging with us. And so... By fall, I said, we need to ask, do a survey. And so I really want you to do that survey, and I'll certainly help you with that. Um, we need to do a survey and ask our students a number of questions. One of the most important questions is, who can you name within the building? Your one go-to person doesn't have to be a teacher, a counselor, administrator. It could be you know, someone from the custodial staff, the cafeteria staff, somebody who you promise that you can go to One, you got to be able to, can you identify someone? And if you do, number two, I should say, you have to promise to respond to them when they reach out to check on you and communicate with them. And so often, two things. You found that, you know, it was the same teachers, you know, a handful of teachers that students really felt that they could trust and go to. And so many of our students could not name someone. And that clear is a clear indication of the lack of relationship. You talked about relationships. 
we're talking about, you know, an adult child youth connection, but even within our youth, so many of them cannot identify a true friend that they have. So the relationships that they have, even amongst each other, is so superficial. There's a lack of trust and or they're all struggling. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see kids who are struggling, you know, you know, socioeconomically, you know, or mentally, you know, or they've all gone through trauma, but somehow they manage to muster up the strength or sometimes a couple of dollars so they can go to the corner store and buy a couple of hot pockets and they learn to support each other. And, you know, we as adults have to do a better job. We also, I say, and take ownership. And that's why I went back to school. People thought I was nuts, but I felt on my heart and I felt God speak to me over the last couple of years that I needed to go back and really- you always in school, Dr. Lucci. Come on. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. But people need to hear that. How many degrees you got? But I had to do it. It wasn't for Kelly. It was not to brag. I had to go ahead. I don't like how the system's set up because it's not set to support us. You know, because you're right. If that passion isn't there, you may be able to pass an exam, but you're not going to be able to connect with clients. But more of us need to get into the mental health profession at all levels. I would like to see more executive directors and CEOs of organizations and foundations and not-for-profit and profit that are in support of mental health that are led by black and brown people. And you're not seeing that. But we first have to break break the barriers, the stigma. You know, still within my own family, people don't want to talk about things. They don't want to go to counseling. I go to counseling all the time. You know, sometimes it's consistent for a while and other times it's, oh, when I need to go. But we, it's going to take, we don't need another loss of a loved one. And it's, it's, it's happening more and more. And still the stigma is there. We have people, I'm sure, within our own circles, I know, who've had struggles along the way. And I find out about it much later. And I'm like, this should be talked about the same way if, if your son broke his leg and was in the hospital. You know what I mean? Or if your daughter needed to have surgery because she came down with a disease. But we're still not there yet. But we have to continue pressing. Yes, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It needs to be every day. Every single day, because I have lost too many who have died by suicide. And I truly, truly believe that for more of those who have struggled and succumbed, for many, it could have been prevented if they just felt comfortable talking to someone. And if somebody literally listened to them and provided them with the hope and the coping skills to to just get through that day so that they could then look back when they're faced with another circumstance and say, man, I remember when I was so ready to throw in the towel, but I made it then and I'm going to make it through this time too. And, and so if you're listening out there and you need some help, you know, the crisis services is available. If you just can't remember no number, you can call just 911 and they'll direct you to where you can, can get some help. But if you can't increase your circle, uh, and try to you know make sure that you have some friends that you can a friend or friends or adults that you go to. If you're a parent, if your child tells you this, oh I'm good, everything's fine. They're not telling you the truth, not because they're they want to just lie and deceive you. 
But everybody's struggling right now. There's a different degree. So I'm not, I'm not trying to scare everybody. I say that you're, not everybody's kid is, you know, at the stage 10. But spend some time and listening to what's going on with your young people. Learn how to be present in the conversation and not directive and prescriptive. Don't discount their feelings. Don't layer your experience over their experience right? Don't tell them how easy they got it. Or if that's all you got to deal with, that's nothing compared to what I had to deal with. None of that's helpful. It's none of it is helpful. Our young people right now in this moment need to feel surrounded and part of a community of caring adults that are concerned about their journey and want to see them fulfill their promise. And for us as African people living in America, there's nothing from the outside that's going to come in and create that for us. It has to be us. And if we are in a position where as an adult, we are struggling, then you go and get some help yourself, not only for yourself, but so that you can be in the position to help somebody else on the journey. And there are folks in community that will be supportive of you. We can turn this thing around, but we have to be honest about the realities. We must be willing and be present. I always tell brothers, uh, they ask us, ask me about being a father and stuff. I said, the number one thing is being present. It starts from being present. Right. And then then from just being present and then let's wait, wait, wait. we can work with you, but there's nothing you can really do if you're not present. And when I mean being present and we're going to run out of time, we probably out of our time, but it means being present emotionally. You can be in the same room with your child and not be present. They can be sitting in your lap or leaning on you. Right. But if all of your energy is focused at your flat screen. And, you know, sometimes you got to turn stuff off and learn how to be present with your child, because this is a moment that we have to turn this around before it gets any worse. So final thoughts, Dr. Lucci. Ditto to what you've said. And as a parent, it's hard. You know, one day with permission from my son, I'll share his story, but I certainly one day will share mine. You know, as parents, we're not perfect. You know, we are not perfect and we need to be able to acknowledge that within ourselves. And we also need to be able to acknowledge it to our children, to our child. You know, I've said, tell me, I want to do better. How can I? And then we have to be able, like you said, we got to listen. And sometimes we may be sitting there like this is not, but just let your child speak. They need to feel like they will be heard, you know, and there are times I'm sure Pastor George, you've had to, you just say, okay, listen, you know what? Let's just take a pause. Let's just take a break. You know, I'm here. I love you. We may not be agreeing, but you know what? And then I just walk away and I pray. And I'll say to myself, you know what? I'm just going to trust God. We'll come back in some time. And when I tell you each and every time God has done that, he truly has. Sometimes you just got to let stuff go and let the man above handle it, you know? And, and even saying to you, I don't know how we're going to figure this out, but we will. And I'm here for you. In sincerity, you know, I, I, I compare children, not saying they're animals, but they're like little, you know, little puppies where animals know they have that sixth sense. 
and they know when you're not sincere. When you're talking about, you know, mentors in the community and, and the like, the same holds true. Kids know. Um, you know, they may utilize what that what that mentor is able to provide. But when people say, I thought you, so-and-so was your, mm, that tells a lot when the child is not comfortable enough with opening it up and being true to that person. So sincerity is important, listening and being able to admit when we are wrong as adults. And I just say the power of prayer. Yes. Well, our imperfections don't do not expose our deficiencies. It only exposes our humanity. And so we must, you know, continue to to just seek to be the best self that we can be. And I believe if we do that, uh, we can turn this thing around. This is Pastor George Nicholas, the chair of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. But the biggest hat I wear today is just a citizen that says that I love you. I love this community and those who are, are listening. Please know that you are loved. And please uh, look for our, our next Igniting Hope podcast. And again, if you want more information, go to buffalohealthequity.org buffalohealthequity.org. Till the next time, until we meet again, God bless you. ever after is waiting for you in the Chrysler Pacifica and Pacifica plug-in hybrid. With available all-wheel drive, Pacifica helps handle adverse conditions like magic. And with a plug-in hybrid, it can help your range anxiety disappear. Make your drive even more enchanted in the Chrysler Pacifica. And watch Disney's Disenchanted, now streaming only on Disney Plus, rated PG. Disney Plus subscription required. Must be 18 plus to subscribe. EPA estimated 520 mile total range with a fully charged battery. Actual mileage may vary. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.